Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. I'm Matt. I'm your host. With me this week is Joe, my co-host. Uh, we're going to be talking about WoW Patch 9.05 because that came out today. It um, did. So that's be the first thing we talk about. Uh, there's been some interesting bugs with this patch already. Um, uh, Soul Ash wasn't dropping correctly from Torghast. Uh, yep. At, or at all. At all. Um, that was one thing. The quest that if you had the, the maximum amount of souls that you could redeem, you would get extra soul ash that that i mean extra i think it was um it's not soul ash it was uh anima extra yep. anima that that's not been happening properly i think they got it hot fixed but it wasn't working for a while um but we should still talk about what the patch is supposed to be doing um it's the valor points patch uh it's one of the things that's happening is um valor points have been introduced to the game they will they work for with uh mythic plus dungeons you remember that they hot fixed in a change to the loot dropping in raids as a result but 9.0.5 puts in valor points to help people with gearing in mythic now, plus dungeons now to to be perfectly clear if anybody didn't know that that those valor points are only spendable on gear that drops after this patch has gone live so yeah if you've been today, saving gear if you've been saving gear it won't work it's only for gear that drops after this yep I I'm I'm sad about that. Uh, although to be fair, I don't do a ton of Mythic Plus, so it's probably not going to affect me. My primary amount of stuff I do in game is raiding. So I got a main hand weapon, so it it concerns me slightly less. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where like I can understand why people are upset about it, but I also understand where Blizzard is coming from a little bit with it as well. It's I don't think there was a way you can make everybody happy. I think that they just did whatever the easiest thing was for implementation without. Well, I think also they didn't want people to like chain run a ton of yeah. mythics, yeah, and then just upgrade all their gear as soon as they could. Yep, they want to make it part of the system. I understand it, but again, I if you're somebody who's been running Mythic Plus for a long time and you've got these this gear you need to upgrade, it's annoying that you'll have to go and get the drop again before you can actually upgrade it. So yeah, uh, try to think what else. There's actually quite a bit to this patch. Anything you want to talk about before while I go look it up? Uh, so there was a bunch of stuff revolving around classes and covenants in particular. Uh, Nine point zero point five was trying very hard to actually balance some of the covenant abilities, uh, mostly because they felt that there were some that were just underperforming for certain classes to the point where just nobody was taking them. Uh, so they're they're trying to balance that a little bit and made some adjustments on that. You can there's a lot of little tiny adjustments. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but yeah, uh, they tried to make uh, I think. Beast Mastery a little more playable this time around as well, um, which I think they've like increased damage from like I think it was like Spitting Cobra by like something like 250 260 percent or something like that. Because again, 
Beastmaster, people like playing it, but it's not doing so hot right now. It's sort of fallen off, uh, so they're trying to fix that. So there's a lot of little balances for classes and covenants to try to to try to bring things up, which is expected with all these patches that are released, um, especially with new systems that have been gone live. You expect that there's going to be a bunch of balancing happening with that. Uh, they also did some conduits, uh, conduit rebalancing as well for certain classes. Um, I know Shaman got a bunch of uh, shifting around as well. Uh, in particular, my favorite one, this means absolutely relatively nothing, but lightning shield damage was increased by 415%. And I just like being able to say that 415%. Why not? Uh, right. but yeah, so it's <laughs> 420% blizzard. I ask you, you cowards. Uh, I will point out one thing that did not happen. That was supposed to happen with this patch. Uh, there's been a delay for the wandering ancient mount. Uh, everybody who has Shadowlands was supposed to get the Wandering Ancient Mount because that's the mount that was voted on. But there's been some kind of delay. Uh, they say it will be coming in the next few days. Uh, some, I'm looking at an article on the Blizzard site right now. So Yeah, some people have gotten it already. Some people haven't. So like I was lucky enough to log in and get the mount. Uh, but people I know in my guild were not. So, yeah. Not everybody has it. But yeah, that's so that's, that's happened. Um, the conduit changes are pretty drastic. There's a lot of those. Um, like I, I've there's one for warriors that I actually really liked. There's there's um also some legendary changes I believe. Yes, yeah, I think they're trying to rebalance some legendaries as well, which yeah, is why so, somebody mentioned that there must have been a new patch because legendaries were selling off the auction house like crazy or legendary materials. That's why because a lot of them got rebalanced and people were waiting for to see if they actually made it to live or not before they went and purchased it. Yep. So that's happened. They're overall it's a pretty. It's a pretty substantial patch for one that doesn't have any new content, mm-hmm. which we're waiting for. 9.1 is going to be the new content patch. This is just one with like covenant fixes, legendary fixes, um, the changes from Mythic Plus, things like that. Um, trying to think of what it is. Also, Stygian crafting has also been added. Uh, that's that's now. If you've got a ton of Stygian and you really have anything else to do with it, you can now use it to to make things. Uh, there's supposedly like a mount you can make. Uh, I, we don't, I don't know much about it at the point. It hasn't really, isn't something I've explored, but it is now in the game. So you, if you have a ton of Stygia and you just have nothing else to do with it, you can now craft with it. So that's nice. I, I don't know why it feels like a system that they must've had in mind for a while. So I don't know why it didn't launch with the game, but it's here now. So there you go. Uh, so yeah, I think that's about it for this. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a big patch. Um, if you haven't logged in, log in. Try to experience some stuff and go forth. All right. The next thing we're going to talk about is the Diablo 3 PTR is currently testing patch 2.7.0. Uh, that's basically, if you haven't heard, you heard about that. That's the one that has the drastic changes to the follower system, which I think is pretty neat. But as a result, um, our Mitch went and asked the Diablo um, Twitter feed, you know, hey, what's what's up with the theme? Are we going to find out what the theme is anytime soon? And uh, they got back to him and basically said, there isn't technically a theme for this season. Uh, so season 23 will be the first season to have it, to not have a theme since season 13. So for the past, since 2018 seasons in, in Diablo three have been themed. They've had like a, like, you know, Hey, this one's got treasure goblins or this one, you, you shoot lightning out of your butt at random intervals. Uh, or this one, can ice cube just went nuts. And now you can have a t- hundred can I cube powers? Not literally, but you know, they've basically, they're not doing any of that for this season because the follower changes are so, tr- they're so, extensive that it's a system that really needs to be the focus of their development time. Yeah. Uh, especially in a game that is this close to the, to the end of its development cycle. 
Uh, you really can't. They basically, it feels like they couldn't do this pretty drastic follower revamp and do a season theme. So we're not getting one for season 20. Uh, some people are disappointed. Uh, again, this is one of the situations where I understand if you're disappointed. Uh, I personally think that they should just double, they should just double treasure goblin every season from now on. That should just be, that should just be baseline every season treasure goblins. Um, but regardless, as of right now, we, we don't know when season 23 is going to be. We don't know when this season we're currently in is going to end. Uh, usually you get a two week announcement and so far we have gotten no two week announcement. So we don't know when it's going to end. Um, but we do know that when it does end and when the next season starts, there's usually like two weeks. It depends on sometimes it's 13 days. Sometimes it's five days because it usually ends on a Sunday and starts on a Friday. And sometimes it ends on a Sunday and starts on the Friday directly following. So five days. And sometimes it then goes to the next Friday after that. Uh, that has not happened lately. Lately, they've all been five days. But in the past, some of the seasons have been 13 days. Um, I, I mean, I honestly don't know what to think about it. Uh, to be upfront, there's there's a lot to this this follower system. I don't know if you've seen it at all, uh, if you've looked at it, Joe. Of, but it's it's drastic. It's a drastic change. Yeah, I, I haven't really been following it too much, mostly because like I will freely admit, with all the hype around Diablo uh, Four news and Diablo Immortal and everything else, uh, and the upcoming Diablo Two uh, remaster, I'm. I haven't really been paying too much attention to Diablo three. I'm sorry, Diablo three. Um, I love you and all, but like, I haven't really paid too much attention to it. No, I mean, Diablo three is a game that is near the end of its development cycle. I think that's fair to say. Um, but in terms of what's happening, basically you will be able to put gear in every, your, your follower will now have a full set of slots, just like you do the you know, head, neck, gloves, shoulders, the whole deal, just like you do. And you'll be able to put gear in all of it. And any legendary abilities or set bonuses that gear you put on them has, you'll get. So if you remember back in season 20, when they had like the Kanai's cube thing, where you could get extra powers and you could change your powers around. This is kind of like that. It's kind of like they took that idea and they made it part of the follower system. So if you are playing by yourself, nobody else, not in a group with other people, you could have a follower who's decked out in gear that will give you bonuses. Yep. And that's pretty interesting. Um, but as a result of doing that, season 23 is just going to be season it's not going to be a theme season. And I don't know what that means for theme seasons going forward. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you guys noticed this. The past, I want to say since season 20, they have not really had a great handle on balancing out the seasons. Um, season and it, 20 and season 21, they both had to add the treasure goblins to them just to get people interested in playing them. And, and I think that's not great. I think part of that is just uh, a sort of like endemic of like shifting development, right? Like that, that unfortunately that's sort of what happens when you start shifting gears, you can't really devote as much attention to it. And I get it. Like, I know a lot of people have been very upset by about, by that in particular. I've heard grumblings from folks that still play the game pretty frequently, uh, that it's a little disappointing, totally understandable. Uh, but I think like, it's the unfortunate reality. Like when you're talking about, you don't know where theme seasons are going to be moving forward. I think we might be done with them. I think this might be make players feel as powerful as we can, as often as we can so that they can just have fun blowing stuff up until we can get another game in their hands yeah and that's uh, certainly is a possibility um i don't know if that's what they're going to do but it does feel an awful lot like we're kind of at the point where you have to be expecting diablo 3 won't be around too much longer um i don't know we know that it won't be diablo 4 in 2021 but i mean even if it if, if it comes late to 2022 
like let's say it comes in November of 2022. That's three seasons at the most. And by then, and by then we're probably already looking at like the remaster and like, did they say that Immortal was not coming out this year? No, Immortal is supposedly this year. So then we have Immortal, we have Diablo 2 remaster coming out in between that time as well. And people are probably justifiably going to be spending time in both of those games. So I think maybe not spending too much uh, attention on the, you know, in particular, the, the seasons makes sense. Why, why bother if players aren't going to, if as many players aren't going to be doing it and the game is essentially <laughs> about ready to shift into legacy mode. Yeah. And, and that has been something they've been talking about for a while. So, but at any rate, yes, season 23, no theme. And we don't know what we're, we're going to get a theme next. If we do, um, it's quite possible that future seasons will just be seasons. Uh, and you know, th- they did 13 seasons without themes before they got to this point. So it's not like it's completely unheard of. It's just, I think that to a degree that the amount of development that you put into a season has just gotten bigger and bigger as they've come up with more and more ambitious themes and they kind of hit a point where they can't really sustain it. And I'm not surprised. I'm kind of surprised it took this long. Yeah, no, I would agree. But uh, at this point, I guess we're going to move on to do some of them, their emails and questions that y'all leave for us. And I don't know why I always get y'all in when I get to this point. Every single time. I'm from freaking New England. I do not have a y'all. I don't know why this happens. At any rate, however, if you have an email for the show, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch so we know it's for this show. And uh, if you have a question but you don't want to send us an email, you can go to our Discord server, the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, or the Q Questions channel, if you're not a patron, and we look at those and we get questions from them. And this this particular email, we took questions from both. Um, as well as an email. So, yeah, Joe usually reads them for us, so if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. Uh, So our first question comes from James. So who the heck is Lilith, anyway? Uh, And for those of you who don't know, I believe that is Lilith from Diablo. Um, So I can give my TLDR version before Matt goes in on it. Uh, But Lilith is the daughter of Mephisto, Lord of Hatred. Uh, She is often referred to as the queen of the succubi. Uh, she is the one who uh, captured and uh, managed to manipulate Anarius to uh, basically plan his infatuation with her to gather a whole bunch of rebels of both the uh, demon and angelic persuasion to steal the world stone and create sanctuary. And then they made a whole lot of devil and angel babies uh, known as the Nephilim. So she is, she is mommy to all the Nephilim. That's, that's the short version. Well, see, that doesn't mean anything what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about the wife of Fraser Crane who uh, <laughs> got divorced from him, but they had a child together, so she kept recurring on the show Fraser. I don't... Oh, you know what? I also forgot to mention that she has the alternate per- the persona of, I think it was like Lilia, Lilia from the uh, Hatred books. Sin War books. <laughs> Sin War books, excuse me. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, Joe just covered it, so I mean, I don't really know what there is for me to do here. Uh, that, that's, that's who she was. That really isn't anything else to say. <laughs> so, um, next email. No, seriously, I'm not. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. Um, she is. We don't know how Mephisto had a daughter. Quite frankly, the, the yeah, idea who he had a daughter with, and and she had a brother, by the way. Um, Lucian. Yeah, Lucian. And I, I, we also don't know where where he comes from. We don't know who mommy was to these people, or if Mephisto was mommy to them. I. This not something that's ever been covered. Uh, both both uh, Lucian and, and Lilith are considered to be around the same power level as the, the at least the uh, the four lesser evils mm-hmm. um, Asmodon, Belial, uh, and Dariel and Duriel. 
but not part of that group. They're not considered greater or lesser evils. They're just they're just demons, um, very powerful demons, but just demons nonetheless. Uh, it's worth noting that Lilith, Lilith, before she ever met Inarius, had already tired of the eternal conflict. Yeah, she was and looking for Lilith, a way out. Lilith's whole thing was, this is not a winnable war. And if you can't win it, why are you fighting it? Like, what's the purpose of a battle that doesn't end in a victory? And so she was fed up with it well before she met Inarius. And it's true. She helped capture Inarius. And then while she had him confined, he started ranting and raving about the pointlessness of the eternal conflict, which to her was like an, a perk up moment. Like, Ooh, I didn't know that they hated it. You know? And so everything about sanctuary, because it wasn't just the Nephilim that are her is the result of her existence. It's sanctuary that she helped create. Uh, it was Inarius and Lilith together along with their followers, the various angel and demons that joined them. The rebels uh, of, uh, or what yeah. is it? Inarius's renegades. Yeah. Yeah. They, they they basically gathered together to storm the Pandemonium Fortress and grab the Worldstone or the Eye of Anu and use it to create a world. And now in the past, people had done that. People had used the Worldstone to create a world. Those worlds didn't last. But it's possibly because only it was be only an angel or only a demon using them. But because Anu, the primordial Anu, was a being of, like, of all possibilities, it was evil and good were contained within it. Uh, when it split itself into Anu and Tothamet, that's when the the stage was set for the eternal conflict because Anu and Tothamet tried to kill each other and succeeded. They blew each other up and in the process created the hells and the heavens. Uh, the heavens are built around the crystal arch, which is thought to be Anu's spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the remainder of Anu is the crystal arch is a part of it. Whereas the hells were created when Tothamet's flaming corpse smashed down into nowhere this and and eventually Tothamet's body became the hells and the prime and the, the the seven evils are essentially the heads of Tothamet like detached and became their own beings uh so when the uh world stone was used by just one group it seemed to not work properly like it would make a world but then that world would unravel but for some reason when Anarius and Lilith used it they created sanctuary which has remained stable ever since and the mortals that live on sanctuary, as Joe pointed out, they're descendants from Lilith and Anarius and also other angels and demons. Yes. Uh, other members of the angels and demons had children. Those children were also Nephilim. It's worth pointing out that Lilith is the direct ancestor of one particular Nephilim, uh, Rathma, who is also known as Linarian. And his name is Linarian because, you know, Lilith and Linarius, you know, it's not, not subtle, but as a result of the, when, when the Nephilim were first being born, the angels and demons were extremely afraid of them because they could, they were basically as powerful or more powerful than their forebears. And they were afraid a, that they would be overpowered by these beings and B that they would attract the attention of, of heaven and hell. And thus the whole point of sanctuary was to find a place to be a sanctuary, a place to hide from the eternal conflict. Lilith, however, never really intended to hide from it. The, the the existence of the Nephilim was part of her plan. She wanted the Nephilim to exist because she wanted to use them to win the war once and for all, to use them to conquer hell and to use them to destroy the angels. And thus she would be in charge. She would have conquered the cosmos. She would win the eternal conflict. Um, when the angels and demons of the rebel faction said, you know what, let's just kill them. Lilith she, killed them. Oh yeah, she went haywire. Like even got her new form, got new digs, and went yeah. and killed every single one of the them first. Except, of course, Anarius, because Anarius had the World Stone. Yep. 
and he used its power to banish her out of existence itself. Uh, but one of the, the only the only Nephilim we know was a direct child of Anarius and Is Lilith Rathma. was Rathma slash Lenarian. As a result, however, when when that happened, Anarius was like, "Well, the Nephilim are still here and they're still dangerous and they're going to attract attention. Uh, but if I get rid of them, I'll be alone here." So he used the World Stone to alter the Nephilim to turn them into what we now call humans. They wouldn't be cosmically powerful. They wouldn't be a threat to any to anyone, especially him. And thus, he could continue to rule sanctuary, kind of as a solitary being. And the humans would have no real ability to threaten him. As a result of this, the the various Nephilim themselves were not affected, but their children and grandchildren and descendants were affected. They were diminished by the World Stone's power and eventually just became modern humans. Mm-hmm. As a result, a specific family, the the Uldisian line was descended from Lenarian, Rathma, which means Uldisian Queldroma and his brother Mendelm were direct descendants of Lenarian and thus of Lilith and Inarius. So when the world stone began to attenuate and its power began to like wane, like it, the, the changes that Inarius made weren't permanent as it began to fade out and the, the humans began to discover their Nephilim power in some cases, Uldisian is the one that started the sin war. He's the one who was gaining the most power the fastest, becoming so powerful that he threatened even heaven and hell. And this was all part of, Lin- of Lilith's plan. And it was Lilith who came to uh, Odyssean in the guise of, La- of the, I can't remember the name you just said, but in that guise, Lilith pretended to be a friend and, and an ally to him while encouraging him to use his power. Yeah. Because that was her whole deal that she wanted to get the Nephilim to use their power because that's how she was going to win the eternal conflict. And that's possibly why the events of Diablo four are going down, although we don't know a lot, but that's, that's, that's who Lilith is. We've now pretty much covered Lilith pretty extensively, I think. Yeah. And if you need more about it, read the sin wars, a great set of books that you can read that give you a great bunch of information. Uh, so yeah, I think that's going to be good for that one. Our next question. Hi, watchers. I have a rather weird question that I hope you can answer. I'm mainly an Alliance player. As soon as the pre-patched dropped, I went to Orgrimmar, to the Orgrimmar embassy, thought I could unlock, uh, High Mount, uh, High Mountain Torrin as I had leveled through High Mountain on my Alliance main. Sure enough, the High Mountain Torrin recruitment quest was available. And so was the Maghar Orc recruitment quest. I thought I must have done Ready for War on a Horde character without remembering it, but recently I went back and checked. I unlocked Megar Orcs a whole week earlier than I did the Horde version of Ready for War. The only conclusion I can draw is that doing an Alliance side was enough to qualify me for the recruitment quest line. Does doing Ready for War on either faction make both Maghar and Dark Iron Dwarves recruitable? Uh, the way allied races work, I can't go back and experiment. Obviously, it doesn't affect me as I've already unlocked both races, but people in chat often ask how to unlock this or that allied race, and I don't want to be able to give as accurate an answer as I can. Also, from a lore point of view, weren't the Dark Irons part of the Alliance since Cataclysm? Uh, short version, they made a lot of changes uh, late into Battle for Azeroth to make a lot of the uh, allied races easier to obtain. Uh, and this, in this regard, uh, like your cross-faction stuff, like I have done almost nothing Alliance-side story-wise or completion-wise Battle for Azeroth. I've done everything Horde-side, but I can go and unlock literally all of the uh allied races from battle for azeroth on the alliance side in fact i have uh in order to get screenshots and stuff like that so they tried to just make it much much easier 
Um, I don't know if there's really anything else to add about that. I think they just count cross-faction stuff now. Yeah, they just they, they changed it during the whole um, period when they were getting ready for Shadowlands. They they wanted to make it easier. Because remember, there was like a long period of time where we were waiting for Shadowlands, but it wasn't out yet uh, because of the, the pandemic and stuff. And we were playing WoW. WoW was getting a lot of people coming in to play it. And I think they just wanted to make it so you didn't have to like level a whole ward and alliance character to get those allied races. Yeah. But yeah. So um, as for the other question, no, they weren't really. Kind of, uh, but not really, right? Like what happened was that um, Moira came back at the head of a Dark Iron group and invaded Ironforge and basically seized control. Then Varian Rin came in and basically, I don't want to say kicked them out so much as left a lot of them dead and stormed in on Moira's throne room and was going to kill her when Anduin talked him out of it. And they created the Council of Three. The Three Hammers. Sort of, yeah, to sort of rule Orgrimmar. But that, that or, wasn't... Not Orgrimmar, Ironforge. Not Orgrimmar, sorry, Ironforge. Well, yeah, same thing. They rule Iron, Orgrimmar too. The orcs don't have them. Uh, to rule Ironforge. And whilst that was in place... It wasn't the same thing as the Dark Iron really being part of the Alliance. It was more like the Dark Iron had a voice in Ironforge. And it yeah. wasn't until later, like during during Missa Pandaria, Moira and her Dark Irons take part in an operation against the uh, Frost Axe, I want to say. Uh, uh, yeah, basically, I remember that because you, you go through and you, there's a whole uh, scenario you do with Moira uh, in like the... the frost trolls essentially uh their homeland that's, yeah that's the dark irons essentially trying starting to prove themselves to the alliance saying you yeah. know hey look we we have stuff to offer you and i would say it, it wasn't until the the end of legion that we really like the 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 dark iron scenario that for the when you do the legion stuff and you get the recruitment quest for the allied races and then you move into battle for azeroth and the dark irons get their own quest that's the official joining up to that point they were like it was like taking steps. It's kind of, sort of like the Klingon Federation piece that keeps yeah. getting re- renegotiated, and the, fe- the Klingons can never decide just how close they are to the, to the Federation. It's sort of like that with the Dark Irons, where it took them a long time to actually get all the way to okay, yes, we this is where we are. This and, is where- and now it's especially interesting too, because technically, uh, as far as the lineage goes of royalty with the dwarven clans, two of the clans uh, draw li- uh, royal lineage back down to Moira's kid, um, and I cannot remember his name now. Dagrin, Dagrin, you know the third or something. Thank you. Uh, which means that two of the clans are technically unified. So that's the Dark Iron and the uh, uh, Iron Forge dwarves. Um, so like they're technically unified as long as they recognize her son as heir, which means that in the future, like unless he like marries one of the wild hammers or something like that, we could actually go back to having a unified dwarf culture in the future. Um, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Uh, also unlocking dark iron dwarves is really entertaining because I really like them as a, a allied race. I think they're actually really, really, really fun. They have really cool hair. They do. Um, my, my dark iron paladin. I like her hair a lot. Um, yeah, basically, D- Dagon Thorson the second is the heir presumptive of the thrones of both Ironforge and Shadowforge City. Um, oh, and whether as, or not that I, ends up with him as ruler of both, uh, it's kind of similar to the whole thing where for a while they had the kings of England were also the kings of Scotland. Yeah, but England and Scotland weren't united again; like they had stayed independent of each other. 
So they had one kid, or for that matter, right now, the queen of England is technically the head of state of like a whole bunch of countries, including Canada, the one I'm in now, but Canada and England aren't, aren't considered the same country. Um, it's similar to that situation. We don't know how it's going to end up working out. We don't know if they'll actually reunify or if he'll just be head of both and they'll have their own completely separate. But it's a really good opportunity for some interesting uh, alliance side storytelling. And as Quick Stop Nirvana points out in the chat, uh, there is also a difference between allied with the alliance and member of the alliance. So That's true. Yeah. As of right now, I think they basically they are they members. Count, they count as a member group. Yeah. Um, they're an allied race for terms of how you roll them and create one but they're they're essentially members their their leadership is in in meshed in the alliance they're they're very much a part of it at this point but it took it took them a while to get that far i would say they're much more part of the alliance than say the light forged oh i would agree yeah uh or you know if you the culterans again the culterans are more allies than a member although since their leader keeps going off and doing alliance stuff, I don't know how, how you work on that one. Yeah, I think that, I think that's pretty much all one big happy alliance human family again. Uh, but Willerin, I there our friend who's a human prop paladin who asked that question. I hope that answers both of your questions uh, agreeably. Uh, anything else to add on that one before we move on to our next one? No, I think you know basically ready for war is essentially you just do it once now. Yep, and you get it for both factions. That's 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 pretty much it. Uh, our next one comes from Stone Sinew. Uh, comment on the latest episode of Lore Watch. Uh, don't know if anyone has pointed this out, but here goes. Kyrian bearers are the ones who go to the other realms to collect souls. You see this on the plaques right at the beginning of Bastion. Slight smile. The implication being that they research how they move between the realms. Question mark. Uh, probably. Like, I mean, the, the, the idea is basically. We we got Kelthuzad. The, the question on Lorewatch, which we didn't do this week, which is why I put this here. Yeah. Uh, the the Kelthuzad is at trying to figure out something. We don't know what he's trying to figure out, but it certainly seems that he is attempting to decipher how people move between the various shadow lands, how souls are ferried through stuff like that. That's definitely seems to be part yeah, of it. Yeah. There, there seems to be some pretty obvious like desire to know, especially how like if Kyrian can go back to the mortal plane or go back to Azeroth Prime to retrieve souls, it seems like something Kel'Thuzad would want to bend to his own will to, I don't know, live again or be a lich again on the prime material plane versus being stuck in Maldraxxus. Uh, like it just seems like that would be very much his style. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's his end goal is maybe not serving whatever the jailer is or, or, or having him do. And I maintain that I think he's much more self-serving than that. Uh, and I think he's just looking for a way to get back home. It's interesting because Kel'Thuzad was one of the Lich King's loyalist servants. Um, sure. And, and straight up just did whatever he was told. So it's possible that he's being loyal to the jailer here. Maybe. Uh, we don't know. Uh, the problem is that we really don't know what Kel'Thuzad's up to. And it, it's interesting because... We know that Kel'Thuzad was loyal to the Lich King because he didn't see any way to oppose the Lich King. Mm-hmm. But if he sees a way to oppose the Jailer, if he can actually look at the situation and say, aha, I, I, I perceive a flaw here, then who knows what he would do. It's it's really up in the air what Kel'Thuzad, who's working entirely for himself, would do. Because the Kel'Thuzad we know, the Kel'Thuzad we fought, was always very much a servant to the Lich King. He wasn't independent. He didn't have his own his own agenda. We don't know what his agenda would look like if he had one. We don't mm-hmm. know. We know that he's up to, you know, he's got his hands on the, 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 uh, 
I forget what it is from uh, Denathrius. What was it Denathrius gave him? Oh, uh, one of the uh, didn't he give him one of the signets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's got his hand on Renathal's. He has got Renathal's signet. Yeah, which is he could use to like manipulate the fabric of reality in uh, Revendreth. Mm-hmm. But if he can figure out how to use it elsewhere, that's interesting. Like, what what is he? You know, each of the uh, I want to call them the Eternal Ones can manipulate the fabric of reality in their realm. Yeah, and we don't know. Like, does that extend to the other realms? Like, is it a function of the realm itself acknowledging them as uh, sort of like the master of that particular domain, or is it that realm uh, that that particularly powerful being just able to exert that much control over anima in general? And that opens up a whole lot of interesting possibilities, especially because Denathrius. Um, is the only one of all of them that I know of that allows for parting out a little bit of his power or influence over the realm with the medallions. Um, the n- Wow, the Winter Queen. Wow, words are hard today. I'm sorry, folks. The Winter yeah. Queen definitely doesn't do that. Um, I don't believe that Kyrestria does that. Um, the Primus we don't know because, well, he's lost all of his memory, so he doesn't know either. Uh, but it seems interesting that Denathrius would be the one that does that. Here's a piece of me. Go make stuff. Uh, and you see that too, right? Like you see the the birth of a new Venthyr. Uh, and when you see the birth of a new Venthyr, it's the Chamberlain that's doing it with a medallion. It's not Denathrius. Uh, he's just acting on behalf of Denathrius. So it's it's utterly fascinating what that could possibly mean for the Shadowlands as a whole. Because if you give somebody like Kel'Thuzad the ability to shape reality, uh, that becomes a really dangerous prospect. <laughs> Just throwing yeah. that out there. I mean, that, you know, Kel'Thuzad is the guy that basically discovered higher forms of necromancy on Azeroth. Other people had had necromancy throughout his throughout history, but in terms of like the the mortal races of Azeroth, he either rediscovered or discovered whole new ways to use necromancy. It- that's what attracted the Lich King's attention to him in the first place. So he's a, he's a good researcher. He's a good, like, he's the kind of guy, I, I mean, if you're trying to do something horrible and evil, he's absolutely somebody to, to bring in. But at the same time, he's the kind of guy that you, you hand him a super weapon. He isn't going to just use it. He's going to study it. And that, I think, and to answer Padilla uh, in chat a little bit, uh, yes, the Covenants do take the medallion back from him uh, and the whole Kalthos exchange and everything else. I, I get that, but it's also how long did he have that medallion? How long did he have it in his per, his possession to study? And what was he able to glean from it? Because as Matt's pointing out, Kel'Thuzad's not dumb. He is a very accomplished magic user. He is. He, we often refer to him or, or see him or think of him as is just his bumbling lich form, uh, and I wouldn't even call it bumbling, but like his subservient lich form to the Lich King. Uh, but in life, when you go and in, in, like go back to old South Shore and you listen to him, listen to his interactions, or know anything about him, he's brilliant. He's smart. He understands what's going on. Matt points out that he, you know, learns about higher levels of, ma- of necromancy when there was no information for him to actively seek other than what he could find on his own. There wasn't a library he could go to. He basically reverse engineered all of that. He got punished for daring to experiment. Yeah, he got censored by the, the Kirin Tor. Yeah. They eventually kicked him off of the Council of Six. Yep. And he was and on he the was, Council of Six. Yeah, he was, he was not, you know, he was not a joke. So... 
Yeah, Kel'Thuzad having access to that thing for five minutes isn't a good idea. Um, we, and, and in terms of what he's going to do now, I mean, it might be that he's loyally serving the jailer and his goal to free himself from his imprisonment. It could be that he's looking for a way to free literally Kel'Thuzad himself from imprisonment. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But we do know that he's out there and that he had access to that and that he has been studying the bearers, which in and of itself is interesting because, you know, he's got the Mossworn to look at, too. And but, we know that the the Mossworn have, have their own Venthyr, not Venthyr, uh, Valkyr, essentially. They have their own Kyrian, and they can possibly do what the Kyrian could do. Why does he need to study the bearers? Or, what specifically is it that he's trying to determine? Is he, is he studying how to move between the realms of the Shadowlands? Or is he trying to learn how to move back to Azeroth or other realms entirely? We don't know, but there's a lot of possibilities there. It's going to be interesting, and uh, I can't wait to find out what Kel'Thuzad does next, because, yeah, he's not done yet. There's way more to go with that one. Uh, our next question comes from Tando from Scenarian Circle. Uh, question for Blizzard Watch. The other day I went into Tomb of Sargeras, thinking I would be able to solo it on Mythic. I was unsuccessful on my 210 Balance Druid. What is going on that we can't solo two expansions ago content? Thanks. Uh, I'd argue two things. One is that we had the uh, level squish. That's a. I think that's a big player on that one. Now, level squish basically means that we are trying to fit all content into a much more narrow band. Like everything before uh, Battle for Azeroth, including Battle for Azeroth, actually goes up to level fifty. And so you're trying to scram. You're trying to cram raid content from all those expansions into that narrow band of, of mm-hmm. levels, uh, which means that the stuff that is mechanically based and I'm going to say right now, I think your problem you're having is the last two fights. Because yeah. that's when I went in, that was the last two fights that gave me the hardest time. I have since have gone in a mythic. I barely managed to get past Sargeras, not Sargeras, the Avatar Sargeras. And I think that that was absolutely a fluke uh, that I managed to do enough burst DPS the last time through to get him. Yeah, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't do anything to get through the last two fights myself on my shaman. Like, I had to find a group to come with me. Yeah, and. I couldn't do the last fight either. In fact, I couldn't even get past the trash. Yeah. To get up to uh, to Kel'Thuzad. and that's because th- there are complicated mechanics. What Kill Jaden? Yeah, sorry, because Kel'Thuzad. You guys get stuff stuck in my head. But <laughs> the thing about Kill Jaden is that he's there's complicated mechanics in that fight. There's stuff like you have to run around looking for you know Illidan. If you have like a, a raid of like twenty or so people. That's not that complicated. Everybody takes a section of the floor and you look around till you find him. If it's just you, you have to cover that entire floor till you find him. Yeah. And if you don't find him, you're getting nuked the whole time. Uh, so, but yeah. You can't cheese it anymore either. Like, Demon Hunters used to be able to use Spectral Sight, I think. Yeah, I don't know if they still can. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think, they, I think they, they patched that out a little bit ago. So, like, you can't even cheese it anymore. So, that's, that's problem one. They, they have crammed to get the levels down, and those fights are mechanically complex. Problem number two is that um, they really don't know what they want people to be able to do. Like they've said, I think you mentioned that they've said, I know you didn't mention it, the person who followed up this must have mentioned it, but they've said that they want people to be able to do Legion content by the end of this expansion. Yes. And I'm like, but that's like in previous expansions, I could do the previous expansions raids by the end of that expansion, not two expansions ago. But they now clearly want people to not be able to do Battle for Azeroth content past a certain point in Shadowlands. They don't want you going back and doing those raids. And I don't understand this. Like, why would you not want me to be able to go do those those raids now? 
I mean, maybe not Nia Latha. And that's the thing that that's always kind of been the case. Like, I don't know if you guys remember um, Hellfire Peninsula, like the Hellfire uh, Citadel raid was very hard to do in Legion. Mm-hmm. Even to the end of Legion, it was extremely hard, if not impossible, especially on Mythic. Well, I don't think you could do it on Mythic until Battle for Azeroth. I mean, I would I would actually uh, give a shout out to our friend Matt Fawson, who definitely like made a big deal about doing that. I think there are certain ways that you could do it, but the way that that entire zone was was designed was for a group of people. Like there are simply mechanics that you just couldn't do until you could completely blow out that content. It was crazy. Uh, not yeah, they actually had to put they had to put changes in for Hellfire uh, Citadel to make it to, soloable to make the first fight get passable yep like you know you could not get past that first fight because it's just you know the other thing you know it's again it's a mechanics thing it's not something you can easily just outpower because it's it's not just you it's the health of the two cannons you have to worry about and there's so many mobs spawning it's very hard to get all of them and keep them from damaging the cannons before you get to them and you're trying to cover a massive amount of space if you don't have a a speed boost you're going to be doing a lot of running and you might not get there in time so they had to change that I think that's the case with a lot of the stuff is they, they leave the restrictions in place until enough people are like, hey, why can't I do this? And that's when they start looking at it. So I don't think we're going to see them looking particularly hard at soloing this on Mythic until later in the expansion. And in terms of, I think I think Battle for Azeroth content should be soloable, but I don't think it will be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that we'll see some more balancing, like not just what we see with like current content, but we've seen it before in the past where like Matt pointed out, they do go back and they do look at previous content and they will rebalance previous content to make it soloable at certain levels. But we're also at a point where level squish is still a factor um, just with even the current gear we're getting. And I know a lot of players feel that, which is why they're making so many gearing changes now. And part of the bigger, I think the big difference too is when a lot of times when we would go back to some of those previous contents, there was a bigger jump uh, between that tier, uh, like we'll say tier three of the previous expansion and tier one of the next expansion. There was a big enough gear jump that it compensated a little bit for it and made it soloing stuff like that easier. And now with the level squish, that jump isn't as big as it used to be. It's almost minuscule because of like Matt pointed out the narrow band and everything else that they have to work with. So as we get more gear too. I guarantee you that they're going to look at how that affects uh, the ability to go back in solo content. And if they need to, they will rebalance it so that we can go back and enjoy some of that and go for our, for our transmogs or certain items that never drop because Matt and I just seem to always have one item a piece that will just never drop. Yeah. I'm actually still working on Legion stuff. Uh, I've been doing it. I, I haven't done mythic siege to I mean, mythic uh, tomb of Sargas very much because I don't, care for the look but i do it occasionally it's Mm -hmm. few fights you can get through pretty easily but yeah once you once you hit the last couple you start hitting into mechanic heavy fights um and when you get into mechanic heavy fights are always a bear to solo because they're based not upon your actual character strength i mean there's that's that's in there but a lot of it is executing this mechanic properly and if it's a situation like that you can have like you could be like 20 levels over and it can still be hard um it really does depend Yep. All right. So I think we can move on to our next question here. And this one comes from 6K, who I saw in chat today. So hello, 6K. Will 9.1 be out before be out before Diablo 4 or will 9.1 be out before or be out after Diablo 4? Uh, before. Before. Yeah. I think that's we've established that earlier with our Diablo talk. 
9.1 will definitely be out before 2022, which is the earliest the Diablo 4 could possibly launch. And we don't know if it will launch in 2022. It might launch in 2023. We have no idea. We just know it won't be coming out in 2021. Yep. I guarantee 9.1 will be coming out in 2021. So, yeah, the 9.1 will be out before Diablo 4. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, don't think there's really much else to add to that, so we're going to move on to our next one, which is from Theraval Imperator. A question for either pod. In the D4 announcement trailer, Rathma is missing part of his left little finger. Is that significant? Theraval, Human Alliance Warlock from Proudmoore, U.S. You don't know that that's Rathma. It's true. We don't. We don't have confirmation that it's Rathma. I think. I mean... I think the the every the only thing that tipped us off to that was data mining during the initial reveal. They, they named the character. They named the model. Uh, it's like Rathma movie or something. They their name was there, but that doesn't mean that they have yet not since decided it's not Rathma. They might have. You know, they were working on that thing for years. I mean, we're talking going back to like BlizzCon 2018. There were rumors of Diablo 4. There was a Lilith comic that was going to come out in 2018, which is why a lot of us were really surprised that it didn't come out because they were, they literally licensed the comic. They had Marv Wolfman writing it. And then suddenly we're like, Oh no, no, not doing that. So yeah, we don't know if that's Rathma. Um, quite frankly, there are some big lore issues. If that's Rathma. Yeah. Because Rathma's the guy who opposed Lilith at every turn during the sin war. Rathma's the one that went and got Mendelm, Oldesian's brother and made him into the head of the, priests of Rathma. It's Rathma created the necromancers to maintain the balance and stop Lilith from doing what she wanted to do. So if that's Rathma, I mean, there's ways you could justify it. I can think of like three different ways you could make that work from a story element, but it's a big deal. It is. If it is yeah. Rathma. And as for the, I'm going to be upfront with you. As for the missing part of his, le his left little finger, there's nothing I can remember from the sin war that says anything about that. That doesn't mean it isn't there. It's quite easy for him to miss a, a detail, like you know, Rathma's missing finger. I don't, I don't know about it. Uh, I have not heard anything. If Joe, you, if you know anything about it, feel free to throw it in. Uh, I no, I don't think there is anything. Uh, as Otto Luke points out, there is that other. There is another possibility too. Um, it could be Maden. <laughs> not actually um but uh what's his name Odyssean might also be a factor because he also was out, taken out of existence and i've been kind of kicking around the idea that i'm wondering what would happen if he got brought back like if what if some cataclysmic event brought uh Odyssean back into the plane would he look for a way to free lilith you know the one who taught him how to use all of his his nephilim power well he's the one to put her back out there though so Again, it's the same basic issue. These are people that opposed her before. Why would they suddenly be working with her? And again, there's, there's ways to make it work. Um, we know that the one person we know for sure it isn't is Anarius. Yeah. And the reason we know it's Anarius, not Anarius, is because during that whole cinematic, we see visions of Anarius writhing in torment because Anarius has been in hell this whole time. Yeah, and the Ever way that I was going to say that that snippet that they show too is exactly as they describe it in the book. Or, or as they described it with, uh, you know, being suspended with the, the hooks throughout his body and all that other good stuff. Yeah, it's it's spot on. That's him. But I don't know. Like, who who else could it be? Could be just random guy who works for Lilith. It doesn't have to be somebody important. I mean, he's there because he's doing Lilith's bidding. It doesn't necessarily follow that it's, you know, Mendel or or uh, or Lenarian slash Rathma or anybody else. Um, 
It could be Lucian. He got banished to non-existence during the Sin War. It's true. He came back. I don't know. We we don't know. Whoever it is clearly seems subservient to Lilith. Like Lilith's reveal is much more impressive than this person. This person is just, is it just some high priest of their cult? Uh, I don't know. Like, and for that matter, it could absolutely be Rathma. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm saying that we don't know if it mm-hmm. is. Um, he doesn't match the descriptions of Rathma I've seen in the past. That weird John Irenicus style head that he's got going on where it looks like his face has been stretched over his skull. That's not part of the traditional description of Rathma. Um, but who knows what he's been up to all this time. So perhaps it's, you know, there's a lot of possibilities, but there's not a lot of concrete answers to them. We don't know as much as we'd hope to. Yeah. And I don't know if there's much else we can really add to that, <laughs> but I think that's it for questions. Do you, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I mean, I would like to know about, there's lots of stuff to talk about both in terms of wow and uh, Diablo and other, you know, other Blizzard games. Like for instance, uh, I'm still very curious like with them working on this many Diablo games, it's like, I feel like the next BlizzCon is going to be a just Diablo centric. Uh, are we, you know, what are they going to do anything with other platforms? What's up with Overwatch? Do lots of stuff, but I don't really have anything that's burning to talk about right now myself. Maybe we should like see if anybody in the uh, audience wants to talk. Yeah. I mean, if anybody in chat has any questions, now would definitely be the time to kick them over to us. Then I can uh, do some editing in the back end and clear any dead air. Like, although, you know, quite frankly, the two of us talk a lot, so I don't know how much there <laughs> will actually be. Although I will uh, say that one of the other things I did see is um, uh, there was a question in chat uh, for when we think 9.1 is going to come out. Uh, with the speed of which 9.0.5 came out, it was pretty quick, too. Like, when it, from the time it hit the PTR till release, it seemed like it was fairly... I, said, I, didn't, think, I didn't think it was going to be the first week of March. I yeah. didn't think it was going to come out ninth. That that seems like a that that's very fast. I didn't think it was. I thought it would be the sixteenth uh, next week. Quite frankly, so I don't. I I if I were betting on nine point one, I'd bet on June. Yeah, and that's. I was thinking June July seems about right. Like it just if the timing feels but about right. Um, I know some people have have actually mentioned or considered that you know December, but I think that's way too late, uh, especially for oh, content because no. we're only in the no third way. month. There's no way that we'd go that long with uh, before the next raid content. We're not going nine months until we get nine point one. There's just yeah. no no freaking way. Am I buying that? Yeah. Um, I I can see since it's March now, I can see three months to nine point one, and then you know three months to 9.1.5 and then three months to 9.2 that feels much closer than than saying we're gonna go like nine months to 9.1 no i cannot believe that just straight up can't yeah uh disastrous it would be it would absolutely be disastrous uh as tohax uh, points out that's how you make your player base riot and yeah i mean one of the things i think they've been trying to do a lot better is we always talk about player engagement uh, from like their perspective, right? They want to keep you. I was think I was talking about this not to sort of like veer off, but this is related. I promise. Uh, I always like that joke about. Or I shouldn't even say the joke. The uh, joking observation of what Chuck E. Cheese was. It was a child casino, right? It wanted to create an environment that was absolutely terrible, maximize profit, and wanted you to, at least the target audience, the kids, to stay there as long as possible. Uh, Because the longer you're there, the more money you can milk out of that family. Um, Not to, I'm not trying to be a cynical, but like games have sort of a very similar 
idea, right? Like it's the idea of engagement. The, the more you can get somebody engaged in playing your game, the longer you can get them playing your game or in content they consume, the more incidentals that they might purchase, but also the more they might bring friends or bring more people and grow the player base, right? So like we pay our monthly fee to play this game in whatever capacity you do. And the more you're willing to pay that monthly fee because there's more content that you want to do, the better it is. And if you bring your friends back, which we talked about like 9.0.5, bringing some people back to the game, that's always going to happen during those patch cycles as well. The longer you go between those patch cycles, the more you allow that player base to drop off. And we saw that in particular with like Siege of Orgrimmar. During that whole cycle, when we had a year in there with no updates, that player base tanked. People were not playing the game. People were not interested in the game because there was nothing new to do. It was all just waiting for the next expansion, the next anything. And even going back to Wrath, like at the end of Wrath, they put the uh, the Dragon Shrine was after, I think, the big everything, right? Yeah, I guess. The, the Ruby Sanctum or whatever it was. Like, yeah, that was after the... Uh... It was literally after the, Ice Crime come out. It was it was like the kind of intro to Cataclysm thing. Yeah. So like even they tried to put something in between the last the last content patch and the next one. Uh, they tried to because you want to try to get your your players engaged and keep playing and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't think we're gonna have too long of a wait. And I think three months, three months, three months. While that might be wishful thinking as far as like how quickly some of that could go. I don't think I, that might be the target that might wind up or, or four months, four months, four months, something like that might wind up being the target for the cadence of how they release content to keep us playing and enjoying the game. But I think that's it. Uh, so I just going to do the outro unless you have anything else you want to add. Well, we're landing like four minutes early, but that's not that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, so Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and that's free site experience. Uh, also, I believe there are Audible books available for the Sin War trilogy. So if you want to, you can always help support us by uh, going to uh, audible.com slash blizzardwatch. Uh, or sorry, blizzardwatch.com slash audible. I always get those two mixed up, uh, but you can always do your 30 day free trial and actually check those out. Check the, the Sinwar trilogy out. It's actually a really good series. Uh, I enjoy it. I actually have signed copies sitting on my shelf. So, but I think that'll do it. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, again, for everybody, if you have an email for the show, send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. The subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch to be noticed for the show, or you can hit us up on Discord on the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel or the Q Questions channel for non patrons. Uh, thank you guys very much for being here with us. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and we'll be back next week. 